Hi, I'm Elena Joe, and this is episode 11 of Big Picture Relationships, When Your Loved Ones Leave Your Tribe. I am super passionate about how we respond when our loved ones wander from what we consider to be right. And today I'll cover the four points that number one, not all who wander are lost. Number two, the importance of looking for the biggest picture goal. Number three, to let go of what you can't control. And number four, to remember that relationships are all you really have. I've got to warn you that I recorded this episode sitting at the beach, so you are going to hear the dull roar of the ocean in the background. You can just picture me in the setting sun, thoroughly amused by the looks I was getting from people walking by as I was talking to myself. So thanks for being with me. Remember, you can always find show notes if this is helpful at www.elenajo.co and pass this episode along to anybody who would enjoy it. This is Big Picture Relationships with Elena Joe, a therapist sharing insights, ideas, and real-life pep talks that encourage you to expand your perspective, maybe shift some behaviors, and make the most of real-life relationships so you can live a happy life right now. Hi, friends. I warned you in early episodes that we were going to record on the road sometimes, and here I sit at the beach in Southern California because I figured this would be better than an echoey hotel room. So forgive the sound and you might hear the ocean and people are definitely looking at me as I hold a little microphone and talk into it sitting on the beach. But here we go. Today's subject, when your loved ones leave your tribe. Let's pretend that you are an avid mountain biker. You love mountain biking. You talk about it. You live for the weekends. All the money you're saving up goes to buying equipment and things that I couldn't even tell you the names of because I'm not a mountain biker. But all your friends are mountain bikers and that's what you do. That's what you talk about. On Monday, you compare your rides. It's the best form of fitness. It's the best form of entertainment. You love mountain biking through and through. So what happens when one of your friends who's been in your group, who's been in your mountain biking tribe for years and bonded with you over it, connected with you, didn't judge you for spending your bonus money on stuff like that. What happens when one of those friends says, meh, I've outgrown it. It's just not for me anymore. What happens then? And how does that feel to you? It might be easy to feel rejected. You might feel like they've outgrown you or maybe that they're even judging you for what you're doing. Are they too good for you? This is your greatest happiness in life and your friend just walked away from it. Well, we all belong to various tribes. Some of them have names. Some of them don't. Some are easier to name. For example, your exercise might be a way of life. You might be a big cycler or a yoga person and you surround yourself with friends and people who really understand it and feel like it's the right way to live, the right way to do things. You might bond over a certain kind of eating if you come from a vegetarian family or a vegan family. You may have a shared hobbies or political involvement with people that you bond about things over. You share the same memes, you share the same political views, and the things that you're passionate about and actually feel like are the right way to be or the right way to live. So not only does it feel rejecting when somebody you love wanders away from that, but you actually even worry for their welfare and they're wandering from what you know to be right, to be the best, to be the healthiest or the happiest. There are a zillion types of tribes we could talk about today, but rather than get hung up in our 20-ish minutes here on naming every single one and how it fits, I'm going to talk about the biggest tribe, the most emotional, the most gut-wrenching tribe that most of us belong to. 
and that is our family slash and or our religion. And in many families, that is one and the same. So to be clear, today's most emotionally charged tribe we'll be talking about is when your loved ones leave your religious traditions or your family. I grew up, as I've talked about before, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Anybody who doesn't belong to that might know them by the name Mormon. And my church shares a fundamentalist foundation with many other religions. And fundamentalists, for anybody who doesn't know, basically means that there is one correct doctrine. A fundamentalist religion believes that their doctrine is the right way, the only way to be. And that's not unique to those in my church. Younger generations are leaving religion in mass. It is not just an exodus from those who grow up with the Mormon faith. There are articles everywhere. There are big cathedrals and churches in Europe that are now used for shopping malls or skating rinks because people are not attending organized religion like they used to be. There are people hurting all over the world who, for whom religion is really important and they're seeing their loved ones leave. So this is not a topic unique to my religion. To all of us with loved ones wandering away from our religion and sometimes even our family or one and the same, I have four points that I'd really like to make today. Now, the first point is really cliche, but not all who wander are lost so cliche, but it's beautiful. Not all who wander are lost. It is easy to feel like if someone has strayed away from something that you are passionate about, that you know your soul to be right, you figure that they are wrong. They're lost. They're ruined. I like to think of this family circus cartoon. Remember the Sunday papers we used to get as kids and read the funnies? I think there's something missing out in this generation, but I vividly remember this family circus cartoon where the little boys leaving school and in, and one side of the frame shows a dotted line between school and home. It's very clear, you know, go straight, turn right, turn right again, boom, home. And then the other side of the frame shows the way this little boy actually got home. He went up and down and over. He went and looked at the bikes. He went to talk to a friend. He ran across the street and went in up and petted a dog. He walked over to the neighbor's door and took a cookie. And I mean, just picture the dotted line of this boy in and out and up and down and around all over the neighborhood, covering every square inch of space in that little neighborhood map drawing before arriving at home. I think that's so powerful because we don't always know that the straight path is the best for an individual. We don't know what's going to happen next year or in the next decade or even in the next life for this loved one of yours. There are lessons to be learned and various meandering paths that can be taken with great benefit to somebody's life. I have a friend, an older friend's son who rejected his Jewish heritage as a late teenager, as a 20-year-old, through his 20s. He stepped away from his Orthodox Jewish heritage and wanted nothing to do with it. And you can imagine this mother's heartbreak. And then to her surprise, in his early 30s, he met the girl of his dreams who was Orthodox Jewish. And he settled right back into his religion and even has his first two children named proper Bible names. In the big picture, wandering like that, what what to us may look like wandering, can serve purposes that we don't always know. There are unique paths that create life experiences that develop us, that shape us as people, and convoluted paths can lead to great places. If we get hung up on the small picture of something that's not in our control anyway, let's be honest. So if we get fixated on and unhappy about the small picture of this loved one wandering, we miss out on things. We miss out on a relationship We miss out on connecting over what our loved one's new interests and passion are. We miss out on getting to see the positive things that are unfolding for them. 
hold that in your mind. Not all who wander are lost. The second point I want to make is to look for the biggest picture goal, not the short big picture. I'm not talking about which college they're going to go to or which church they're going to get married in or their lifestyle choices right here now in the next five, 10 years. Step even further back than that. What is your highest goal for this person? Is it a life full of learning, of growth, meaning, love, a true sort of happiness? I hope so. So if you can let go for now of the smaller goals that you think are going to bring about that life of meaning and happiness and look toward bigger, higher goals, you'll be so much happier. If your goal is, let's say, your church's doctrinally approved path to happiness, I'd encourage you to step even further back and look even bigger than that. How about the last word of that sentence? Happiness. How about if you just say the biggest goal for them is happiness and that you trust your God to work out the rest. Third point is to let go of what you cannot control anyway. Let go of what you can't control. While we're born into family units and villages and we have people around us teaching us, raising us, ultimately our life is a solo journey the people around you, your loved ones, and even if you gave birth to that loved one and nurtured them, they are on a solo journey too. And they have a right to their individualism. No amount of expectation for loyalty should overtake someone's right to choose for themselves. That's unhealthy in a myriad of ways. In a therapeutic way, living to please someone else, we we all know how awful that sounds. Living to please someone else is very unhealthy therapeutically. But it's also unhealthy in a spiritual way. Making life choices based on other people's promise of a safe journey is the opposite of learning and growing for our own experience. In my religious background, we believed that there were two plan options for coming to earth here and learning and growing. And the first one was guaranteed safety, guaranteed safe passage. You had to do all the right things and learn everything you had to, but you had no free will choice. And the other plan was to have bumps and bruises and make choices and make big messes and learn and grow and ultimately become a whole lot more wise. We need to be sure, whether you believe that plan or not, it's a beautiful allegory because we need to be sure that we are not mimicking that no free will plan because of our expectations for our loved ones. We need to think more about the big picture of what they need to have in their life to learn and to grow and to think about how much you trust your higher power in the big picture instead of trying to control things yourself in the small picture. Okay, the fourth point is that relationships are all you have. This last point covers what we do about this. If you're feeling heartbroken because your loved one is wandering, what, what do you actually do? How do you actually act toward them if your heart is breaking? The answer is really simple in idea. It's a little harder to do in practice, but still not rocket science. It's a little harder emotionally, depending on how wounded you feel by their leaving. But your greatest strength in this situation that feels so helpless to you is to love them. That's capital letters. Love them. Not distantly, like in your heart, like, hey, I hope the best for you. Good luck. But I mean actively love them to do things for them, do things with them, do your best to live with the light and happiness that your path has brought you. If you feel like your religion or your family membership is the greatest, brightest, happiest thing in your life, show that, show that through the way that you act and the way that you invite and the way you are a joy to be around and your happiness is palpable in what you love so much. 
This is even a church-approved answer. One of the apostles in my religion a few years ago said in a youth fireside, it was Elder Rasband, for anybody curious, when asked, you know, what do I do with my family members that have strayed or that don't want to come to church? His only answer was to love them, to reach out and show love. This is more enticing than lectures. You know, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. You never hear at church that we should just preach harder to our family members or to make sure that we remind them regularly of what they should know or should be doing. We never get taught to show our displeasure or that it's our job to convince them or to get our passive little digs in towards those people that have left. We are taught to just love them unconditionally and actively. And I don't share this as a manipulation tactic. Your love, if it's purely with the intent of bringing them back to your tribe, is manipulative if that's your number one intent. I'm talking about loving with them, connecting with them, and looking for the biggest picture, highest level form of happiness, which is your relationship with them while they are on their solo journey. Just love them. Now, let's look at an example. I have a great example of this, and it's not even a religious one. It's a familial example. Um, I had a coworker years ago who we were traveling and she reached over and said, Hey, you're a therapist. Tell me what you think about this. And she showed me this text thread of family vitriol that was being spewed toward a brother and sister. So here's the story. This is a family of young adult children who some of them have new little children, you know, probably children in their twenties and thirties and grandma and grandpa want the family picture to be taken of all of their family members. Well, Last year, one of the brothers and sisters-in-law decided that they didn't like the family dynamic and they were done. They were stepping away. They didn't like how things were running in that family and had decided that they were divorcing themselves from the family. They no longer wanted to be part of it. I hope this is causing some emotions in some of you already and probably on both sides. I imagine we have listeners who have been the ones to try to separate themselves from family and I imagine we have listeners who have had loved ones take that distance from the family so I can picture the intense feelings on both sides. Just to give a little more background, my colleague said, no, this is not like an abusive family. It's just, you know, a crazy, just a family. All of us have crazy neuroses and, you know, mother and father-in-law type of stuff. So there was nothing overtly abusive going on here. This brother and sister-in-law just decided that for the sake of their own new little family unit, they were stepping away. And they had let it be known through text that they were not coming to family pictures. All the other adult siblings and many of the spouses jumped on this thread. And I hope you can imagine their response as they're saying, What? You owe mom and dad. How can you be so selfish? Why are you being so prideful? How can you do this to our family? And you could feel the genuine hurt and anger of these siblings that are just spewing all their hurt and anger toward the ones who are not coming to family pictures. And it's maybe even deserved, but I want you to take a second and put yourself in the shoes of this couple who's leaving, of this couple who has announced they're not coming to family pictures. Imagine that you are on the receiving end of a bunch of texts like that. All of us, and I talk about this all the time, but all of us in our human nature have a backbone, have a defense that kicks in. And when that gets triggered, it's really, really hard to suddenly feel humble and come back and say, oh, you're right. You know what? So fight or flight, when you introduce those power struggles, you have lost. When you shame a loved one for hurting others, you're putting them in a corner. When you say things like, how could you, or you owe me, or I've devoted my life to you, or you're being stupid, lazy, selfish, any of those things, or especially when you say things like, you know what's right, or even someday you'll come back and you'll regret this time you've lost away. 
you, by saying those things, are pushing your loved one further and further away. Your intent is to bring them back, but what are you actually doing? You're pushing them away. You're turning their right to have ind- their God-given right to have independent choices into a fight. And those power struggles drive a wedge into relationships. And if you continually bring up your hurt over their wandering, you are tap, tap, tapping that wedge. I really picture like a wedge cutting somebody right in half. And all those little mean passive digs, all those little statements, all those little shaming things are just tap, tap, tapping that wedge, cutting somebody right in half or cutting the relationship right in half. Your loved one won't feel safe around you. They won't share their truest self with you. And your relationship will unravel at least the healthiest, happiest parts of it will. Even if they're still around you, you won't have the real them there. Okay, so back to our story. Uh, I I think you can imagine that this brother and sister-in-law were not suddenly becoming humble and penitent and saying, oh, you're so right, everybody. We're selfish. And how could we do this to grandma and grandpa? Here's what I suggested to my colleague that she should do. And I don't think she did it because it's brave, but... Any of you, for the sake of the story, here's what I suggested she do. I said, hey, if I were you, I would send a text on the family thread that says something like this. Hey, brother and sister-in-law, you know, hey, so-and-so, I totally respect your right to create your own family dynamic. I may not agree with it, but I respect that you have the right to choose that for yourself. And I miss you. I miss having you around, but I respect you and wish you the best of luck. I would love to have you join us for family pictures. I'd love a memento that we grew up together, that our children, our blood relatives, cousins, grandparents, I'd really love to have you there. But if you don't come, I understand and I respect your right. And maybe next time, you know, love you lots. Love so-and-so. Now, would that have won? Would that have convinced brother and sister-in-law to come to the family pictures? Maybe not. Maybe not this time. And probably not after all the, you know, garbage and poison that had just been spewed at them. But it opens up a pathway for this brother and sister-in-law to connect with the family at at what is most important, this relationship level. And though they may not have come to family pictures this time, they're far more likely maybe next time, even if it's a few years down the road, if family members started to change their acceptance and show some respect for their right to choose for themselves, I think it's far more likely that that brother and sister-in-law might show up for the next round of family pictures when they're not worried that they're going to get a big, I told you so, or you finally agreed with us, good to see you, or any of that kind of stuff. So as you face that painful situation of loved ones wandering far from your tribe, I encourage you with my whole heart to remember that number one, not all who wander are lost. Number two, Look for the biggest, highest goal until you find it, until you find an answer or a goal that feels okay for now. Number three, let go of what you can't control anyway because they get to be individuals. And number four, that relationships are the number one priority here. Relationships are all you have right now. They're the only thing that you're even 100% certain of at this time. Love wins. Another cliche statement, but love wins. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you can pass this episode along to anyone who would benefit from it. There are so many people hurting as family members have wandered and left their tribe. And if you've been listening and you love this, please leave a rating or a review. I appreciate you guys and I'll talk to you next time. All right, today's happy hack. You are going to think I'm crazy, but the world's best kept laundry secret is a Fells Naphtha soap bar. F-E-L-S 
naphtha, N-A-P-T-H-A. It looks like something that your grandma would use. It's orange, it's a square block, it's wrapped in paper, and it's totally inconvenient, but it smells delightful, and it takes out stains that no other stain remover will. I'm talking spray and wash, OxyClean, stain sticks, everything you can imagine. They don't touch some stains like baked in oil or barrier juice stains or diaper blowouts. So I was thinking about the miracle of the soap bar this week because my boys' favorite shirts both have a dark oil stain on the front. You know, the type that's not really a stain, it's not a color, but in certain light you can totally see the shading of an oily spot like they have a permanent wet spot on their shirt. And I've been ignoring it for weeks because, let's be honest, most of the time when we get an oil stain like that, we just throw it away, right? <laughs> okay, just me? All right, then don't tell Mother Earth. So I decided to give my Fels Naphtha soap bar a try, and here's how I do it. You have to get the clothing sopping wet, like not just a little bit wet, but like sopping wet, and then you can rub that soap bar directly on the stain. I don't like wet or sticky hands, so I keep mine in a Ziploc bag, and I'll just open up the bag and hold it like hold the soap bar in the bag in my hand. And I know most of you are never going to do this because we're lazy and I totally get it, but I promise this is worth it. So I open the top of my washer and dunk that clothing in the running wash, then rub it against the lid. So the sopping wet clothes are dripping down into the washer and I'm rubbing that soap bar onto the stain. Will you believe it that both of those months old oil stains that have been through the washer and dryer like a dozen times at least came out. They're totally gone. Good as new. Once I used this on my favorite dress because I'd put another stain remover on it and then forgot about it for, I don't know, a long time, maybe a couple weeks. And it dyed my dress like a blue chemical color where all that stain remover was. And lo and behold, this Fells Naphtha soap got it out. Additionally, any of you with diapers in the house, or if you will ever have diapers in your house or know someone with potential diapers in their house, you should know about this bar of soap, and I actually give it regularly at baby showers. I've never seen anything remove those bright newborn stains the way that this bar of soap will on a wet piece of clothing. I used to rinse off the diaper stuff, rub the soap into the stain, and then put it in a plastic bag so that it would just stay wet and soap-covered until I did wash, even if it was half a week later. Everything came out totally clean. This is totally worth it. So, okay, this is the longest happy hack ever, but that's how awesome this bar of soap is. I will link it in my show notes to Amazon so you can find it there, but you could also check your grocery store. It really is just this rectangular bar of soap with big green letters that says Fells Naphtha on it. All right, thanks so much for listening. Much love from me to you. Visit www.elenajo.co for show notes and random photos along with any handouts mentioned in this episode. Find elenajo.co on Instagram for daily big picture reminders and join the big picture email list for an occasional pick-me-up in your inbox from Elena Joe. Thanks for joining us.